All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. In a rematch of the 2008-2009 Stanley Cup final game, three of the ALCS goes tonight from Arlington as the Rangers look to wrap up, or look to go up three games to none in their series against the Houston Astros. First pitch set for 6-0-3. Three games in the AJ with Spruce Grove hosting Lloyd at 7 down at Grant Fear Arena. You've also got Sherwood Park in Olds and Bonneville hosting Brooks. The Jacksonville Jaguars have signed Canadian quarterback Nathan Rourke to their 53-man roster ahead of their Thursday night game against the New Orleans Saints. Trevor Lawrence currently dealing with some knee issues. And McCole Hardman heading back to the Kansas City Chiefs. ESPN's Adam Schefter reporting the 25-year-old receiver is returning to the team. He won two Super Bowl wits as part of late-round pick swap. We continue on Wednesday afternoon. The Gregor Show is always presented by our title sponsor, Play Alberta. .ca. And uh, remember, you do not have to wait for the uh, season to begin. Now that's here, doesn't matter what sport you're playing, get in. You can try it if you're a first-timer. Use the promo code SPORTS50 and you'll get a $50 free play at playalberta.ca. Uh, it is Wednesday, 3 o'clock, and that always means it's time for Who Is It Wednesday, where we uh, would like to bring in uh, different uh, personalities from the sporting world. And uh, talk a little bit about their career. Most of them have had a uh, very unique past. We've had Olympians. Uh, we've had Stanley Cup champions. Today, we got someone who's both. Of course, he was an Olympian for Canada's uh, men's hockey team. He went on to be one of only uh, seven players to win five Stanley Cups with the Edmonton Orders. He's a doctor, and he's also one of the co-owners of the Edmonton Riverhawks. Randy Gregg joins us uh, in studio. Randy, how are you, my man? I'm doing great, thanks. Yeah, thanks for the very nice introduction. I wish I... I uh, would have lived up to all those uh, accolades. Well, hey, can't take away five cup rings, man. Uh, like, think about it. They had to bring you back to the team in 1988 just to ensure that they would win number four. Well, I, <laughs> I wish that was the case. But you know what? The funny thing about winning the Stanley Cup is although we had some amazing players, they give a Stanley Cup ring even to the poor players. So yeah. I was lucky that way. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, uh, many of your teammates have always talked about uh, Randy's probably a little bit humble in, in what his ability is uh, because championships teams, they don't just keep around spare parts, uh, especially for that long. Uh, you got to be able to do something, uh, right? And so kind of I want to talk about your journey because you have a very interesting journey. We just had Ken uh, Dryden on the show earlier today and uh, somebody who felt like, he goes, I, didn't, I would, never really thought I could be an NHL player 
until he was an NHL player. Like, he didn't believe he was good enough to play in the league until he kind of got thrust into it. And, um, you know, you, you weren't, uh, you know, highly drafted or anything like that. Uh, you, you, you went to university, uh, then you played for the Olympic team. How about, and cause I, I think, you know, you were approached originally by, you know, Vancouver and other teams, and then you're like, nah, and then you kind of had to get convinced. Kind of take us back to, what led to you finally being able to play in your hometown with the Edmonton Oilers? Yeah, so it is kind of interesting. You know, these days it's completely different than it was back then. Back then there were six teams, and nobody in their right mind would ever think that they could play in the NHL. You know, you right. saw Chicago and New York and Boston and, and Toronto Montreal. So we just wanted to play hockey because we loved it. Nowadays, of course, you can you know, drive 20 minutes and see the best player in the NHL uh, uh, personally. So it makes it a little bit easier for players and families these days to say that's a possibility. So uh, it was interesting because my, my real goal was to be a doctor. I thought that would be a great career and something I could help people out with. And yeah. uh, at the University of Alberta, they allow anybody to come out and uh, and try out. So um, I, I tried out this one particular year. I thought I'd you know, spend two days practicing a couple of free skates and then get cut. Uh, and it was the first year of my medical school. Well, my older brother, who was a doctor, came up to me and unceremoniously sort of grabbed me by the throat and said, forget about this hockey. You know, you got to f- concentrate on medicine. You want to be a good doctor, you got to focus on medicine. I said, yeah, I sure will. So, well, I'll, I'll get cut two days into this practice. Well, lo and behold, four years later, uh, we'd won a couple of national championships and I was being treated, by, uh, coached by Claire Drake. You know, he turned an, a tall, slow defenseman into a tall, slow, smarter defenseman, somebody who really understood the game because of such a great coaching we had at the university. At that point in time, I wasn't drafted. My draft year, I was in medical school. So what kind of a crazy hockey team would draft a doctor? Uh, so I became a free agent. And uh, in 1980, it ended up that there was the Canadian Olympic team. And during the national championships, there was this fellow in the stands. And we, we knew of him, but he was a fellow named Father David Bauer. And yes. Father David Bauer goes back many years as organizer of the Canadian Olympic team. And, and he wanted to organize a group to represent us in Lake Placid. Well, uh, I thought, you know, my God, are you kidding me? I, I'm just going to be a, a doctor. And I, I was lucky enough to play with the Golden Bears. No way I could ever go to the Olympics. Uh, sure enough, I was the captain of that team. Uh, we ended up in sixth place in Lake Placid. And to this day is the, is the best sporting experience of my life, uh, primarily because of Claire Drake and Father Bauer. Uh, an amazing experience, a, a, a personal growth experience, a chance to travel the world, a chance to realize that you know, hockey's great, but hockey's all over the world. It's not yeah. just in Edmonton, just in Winnipeg and things like that. So anyway, I was so excited about this um, this Olympic experience. I said, well, maybe I'll, I'll stay amateur. I'll go to Japan. I'd been in Japan once with the, with the Olympic team. And uh, so I, I got a job as an assistant uh, manager of a hotel in Tokyo. <laughs> uh, my job, of course, was to play for their hockey team for a couple of years. And that was a, indeed a great experience as well, to be one of the leaders of the team and see different parts of the world. Uh, but it was interesting. I was in Sapporo one day and I was, I was lying in my bed waiting, to, kind of having to sleep, getting ready for the game that night. And the phone rang and it was this fellow named Glenn Sather. And, uh, Glenn had come over to Tokyo with Peter Pockington. He had a, a business dealing to do. So they went over. Somehow they got my number, phone and, and Glenn said, when you're finished with all this craziness, come on back and let's talk. So I thought, boy, this Glenn Sather, he's the coach of the Edmonton Oilers. I mean, my family are amazing fans of the Oilers. I was a fan of the Oilers when I was there. Okay. Uh, that, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, anyway, so when I got back, it was uh, just start of playoff time, and Glenn called me in and offered me this amazing contract. I didn't even believe it so high. But I said to him, I said, Glenn, I really appreciate it, but 
sorry, I think I'm going to go back to medicine. And I, I got up and I started walking out his, his office and he said, Randy, sit down and offered another 50,000 or something like that. Way more than I ever wanted. But what I really wanted to do is to make sure that we understood that if he wanted to get rid of me, just tell me I'll leave because I've got something else, this medical practice that I'd like to get going. And I think it, uh, I did that twice. And then finally in the third time, I thought, I better not keep on walking out. He might not call me back. Yeah. And, uh, you know, at that point, the Oilers were uh, and still are a very big part of our community. And my family were big fans. So uh, anyway, I went out to the first practice. It was right before uh, a, a playoff against Los Angeles. And he introduced me. He said, guys, look, we're starting the playoffs. This guy's here for next year. He's going to practice. Don't worry. He's not taking anybody's job. And so I started practicing with him. Well, we lost the first game, I think. And the yeah. second game, Glenn came to me. This is about five days after I'd been in Tokyo, Japan. He said, you're playing next game. And uh, I can't remember what I did yesterday. But I remember amazingly coming down on right defense, my first a shift with the Edmonton Oilers, my family, all my friends looking down on me. And I had replaced a fellow who had struggled the first game. His name was uh, Coffee, I think. Uh, <laughs> you know, future Hall of Famer. Paul came back into the uh, into the lineup shortly afterwards, became a great, great player, of course. But uh, that was a good experience. And in fact, that was the year of the Miracle in Manchester. Yes. Um, there was a fight on the ice. And in, of course, Japan or any international hockey, you're kicked out. So I, I grabbed the g- guy closest to me and you know, I wasn't a great fighter, still aren't, my wife tells me, but it happened to be Charlie Simmer. Well, Charlie's the nicest guy in the world. He says, hey, Doc, how you doing? I thought, good. I, I picked the right guy. We're not going to go toe-to-toe. <laughs> but it ended up that we were the third and fourth man in on the fight, so we get five-minute misconduct. So I went into the penalty box. It was 5 nothing for us, and I came out. It was 5-5. Five, five. Uh, Los Angeles scored the sixth goal in overtime. They went on to to win the, the miracle in Manchester, so to speak. So that was an interesting experience to start with the Oilers. My wife, uh, I met in the Olympics, and she's a wonderful lady, and, and she doesn't care what I do. She wanted me to be around my family. She said, look, play for a couple of years. Let's get on with life. Well, a couple of years in, we started winning those darn Stanley Cups, so it was pretty hard to quit. I would think so. Uh, Randy Gregg joined us. Because so, that was amazing. You jump in the playoffs, and I do remember reading about that, uh, you know, you'd replace Paul Coffey for one game. And obviously, very different style players. But, the, you know, Glenn Sather was a master motivator, and he was looking probably for different things to get guys going. So you play there, and then they lost. But then you came back the next season, Randy. So now it's your first training camp. You come in, and that's the, I guess, the fall of 1982 and obviously, you, you know, your family members, I'm sure, and probably you knew about Gretzky already and them. But now that you're in the room, like, was it intimidating for you at all? You're like, here's Wayne Gretzky. You know, he's this Mark Messier guy. Now there's Glenn Anderson and Curry. Like, was it at all intimidating for you that first full season? Because I, I think the playoff game is almost you didn't have time to really be worried. Yeah, true. Well, it's interesting. As a free agent, one of the great things about being a free agent is you can negotiate with everybody. So I had contract offers with the Atlanta Flames, which ended up being Calgary, and the New York Rangers, much higher than the Oilers. I think my family would have disowned me if I had signed with either of those teams. So it was a pretty easy decision. But, you know, it, it was a remarkable time, and I don't think we'll ever see it uh, – you know, people like Mark and Wayne, as as fabulous as they were, they were just such great young men. You yeah. know, we had lots of fun, maybe too much fun, I think, if you think back on some of those evenings. But uh, they were really open and accommodating. Uh, there was a fellow named Kurt Brackenberry, who yeah. was kind of a tough player. And one of the first practices, Kurt comes in and hammers me into the boards of practice. And Kevin Lowe came over and said, hey, Randy, don't take it personally. He does that to everybody. (laughs) And so they were really supportive. I think they realized that, you know, we had the goal scorers. 
We had the great goaltending in Andy Moog and Grant Fear, and there was a spot for Kevin McClellan. There was a spot for Marty McSorley, and there, maybe there was a spot for an old slow defenseman who could maybe get the puck up to the guys who could really do the job. So, you know, kudos to the to the coaching staff to say we need this spot filled, and they went out and got it. Luckily for me, I was able to play in front of my friends and family. Randy Grega, our guest today on, on Who Is It Wednesday. Your second season, Randy. You say just a slow defense when he was also a defense when he scored 13 goals and 40 points. What, uh, and then, uh, you know, now you had eight goals a few other years, but that was obviously your career high. What went well for you offensively in, uh, in 1983, 84? Cause obviously that was the first year you guys won your first Stanley Cup. So, um, was your offensive burst on the scene kind of the, one of the, the key points to that 84 Stanley Cup win? Well, absolutely not. And in <laughs> fact, to be very honest with you, my mother probably would have scored 30 goals with Wayne Gretzky and Mark Messi and things like that. You, you tag along with those guys and, and uh, you get in the right spot. I mean, the, the great uh, aspect of any sport is, you know, we have to be in good shape. We have to yeah. be fairly quick. But I really, really love the strategic part of hockey, and I think Claire Drake was a big part of that. I was never going to be particularly good, but by playing with these players that were so fabulous, so innovative, they didn't even know what they were doing, and they were doing great things. So sometimes you come in the backside for a one-timer, things like that. But really, we all realized if we were going to be successful – uh, we had to do what our job was. Lee Fogland didn't care whether he scored a goal or not, but he was such a stalwart on our defensive line. It was interesting, back in the day, there was a fellow named Gary LaRiviere, and Gary was a very, very defensive defenseman. And one for years, I don't think he scored any goals. But one particular day, he was skating around the front of the other net. Somebody took a shot, hit him, and the bum went in, scored his first goal in about three years. So... I remember the media coming into the dressing room saying, Gary, you must be really excited. You know, first goal in three years. Gary said, no, I'm not excited at all. They said, why? He said, well, they're going to expect two next year. <laughs> <laughs> so Gary realized, when you've got Wayne Gretzky and Mark, you don't have to score. You have yeah. to keep the puck out of the, out of the net. But probably the most pivotal aspect of that was in 1983, where we went and played the New York Islanders and were absolutely schooled by a better team. Gretzky had scored 92. We had all these scoring records. Uh, Grant was, was wonderful in that. But they were a better team. And it was an interesting experience, probably one of the most pivotal changes in people's attitude. At the end of that, of course, we all had these big beards. I had this big red beard. My wife couldn't wait for the season to end, so she could actually kiss me for the first time. Um, so as we were shaving off our beards in Long Island, Nassau kind of Coliseum, there's lots of sinks there. So we're all shaving, looking in, in each other's eyes, saying, how can we beat this team? And so we sat down, and uh, Glenn Sather came in talked, and John Muckler talked. And then a fellow named Yaroslav Pozar talked. Now, Yaroslav was a Czechoslovakian uh, player, a rookie like I was. He had played on many world championships teams. He was 33, 34. I was his interpreter. I, we used to live a uh, uh, room together, so I'd try to teach him English. Not a very good job, I think. <laughs> but anyway, Yaroslav had never said anything all year. And finally, when we were all sitting there dejected after we were beaten 4 nothing by a much, much better team, Yaroslav got up and said, listen, if you guys want to win the Stanley Cup, you have to play as a team. Wayne, you've got to come back to the zone to help defensemen. Defensemen, you've got, you got to help the rush. Wingers, you have to do the job. You have to play as a team. And I remember it like yesterday, and everybody's saying, you know, 92 goals is great, but it doesn't get you a Stanley Cup ring. Yeah. And we don't blame it on Wayne. Wayne is an unbelievable yes. player. But I think we all sat there and said, okay, now is the time. Luckily, the next year we had a coach, an assistant coach named John Muckler, 
who was a very, very good strategist. And Yaroslav had opened our eyes to say, yeah, we want more than just these scoring records. We want, we want a ring. Yeah. And John Muckler was able to form that group. And all of a sudden, instead of two defensemen and three forwards a long way away, it was a five-man breakout. And all of a sudden, with the skill that all those players had, we became a better team. It was interesting because when we finally won our first Stanley Cup, I, uh, I, I was so thirsty. I sweat like a dog. I came in, and, I, and I, the first thing I saw was all these bottles of champagne. I grabbed the champagne and started chugging it because I was so thirsty. And then I look up, and CBC TV had us all on TV. I thought, well, everyone's going to think I'm an alcoholic thinking this. <laughs> as soon as I had alcohol, I, I, I walked with my skates right into the into the coach's room, and I gave John Muckler a big hug and said, John, this is on you. You are the reason why we won the Stanley Cup. Oh, Randy Gregg, uh, our guest today on uh, Who Is It uh, Wednesday. We'll come back. Uh, more stories about his time with the Orders. We're also going to get into uh, a little medicine and, of course, uh, now what he's doing with the uh, Edmonton Riverhawks. It is the uh, Wednesday edition of the Jason Gregor Show on Sports 1440 and live on Orders Nation YouTube. We continue on. Sports 1440, live on Orders Nation uh, YouTube. It is The Gregor Show, presented by PlayAlberta.ca. Coming to you live from the E-Well studio, E-W-E-L, their grand opening tomorrow. You want to stop in there? Free lunch. Who doesn't like free lunch? 186th Street, 116th Avenue for all their clients, suppliers, and Sports 1440 listeners. So uh, check it out, E-W-E-L.ca. And uh, our very special guest uh, joining us uh, in studio five times. Stanley Cup champion. He's also an Olympian, one of the co-owners of the uh, Edmonton Riverhawks, and in his spare time, he's a doctor. So you know, no big deal. Uh, Randy Gregg uh, joins us, and uh, Randy, those awesome stories. The Yaroslav Pozar one. We had a lot of texts from people just, geez, Pozar, you know, saying that to Wayne. I think you need a good room where you can say something with constructive criticism to any. Pl- no one can be above it if you want to win. Well, not if you're a great player. I mean, there are good players out there. Wayne was a great player. I mean, he was. He was the best of his generation, but he was more than that. He was, he was an amazing man. I got to tell you a quick story. So my father, uh, a few years ago, turned 99, passed away at 104. Wow. Anyway, when he was 99, I mean, 99 is a special moment. I, I, I've never asked Wayne for anything. I never will because, of course, everybody wants something from Wayne. Um, so I texted Wayne. I said, Wayne, my, my dad just turned 99. If I send you a card, would you mind just signing it and sending it back to him? He gets back to me within two minutes. What's his address? So about two days later, I get a call. I'm seeing patients in between patients. Uh, the secretary says, Dr. Greg, uh, your dad's on the line. So I said, hi, dad. How's it going? There's a package here for you. And I said, no, I don't think it's for me. It's for you. No, I don't know anybody in L.A. It's got to be for you. <laughs> so I said, well, I'll come over after work. So I finished seeing patients, went over there. And sure enough, there's a package from Wayne Gretzky, an autographed jersey, a poster, and a signed letter saying, Dear Mr. Greg, it was wonderful playing with your son all those years. Isn't it great to be 99, Wayne Gretzky? <laughs> and I thought, how can he be that good? Yeah. You know, we haven't played together in 10, 15 years, but that's what that team was all about. People say, oh, we'll, we'll have a great team. Mark Messi demanded it. Wayne Gretzky demanded it. And it was such a great opportunity for us to understand what a team's all about because I've been on a lot of teams and they were magical leaders. And uh, Wayne, what, what an amazing man he is. How, well, such a cool moment because father's proud of his son's achievements. But then he's also like, yeah, but your buddy's with the greatest hockey player ever. And he sends me a gift on my 99th. Like, you know, that gets you in the pretty good cool son uh, book at that point. Well, it does. But you know what the end of the story was? He said, that's not for Wayne Gretzky. 
you must have sent it. I said, Dad, I wouldn't send that to you. I had to bring my brother over a day later to talk him into the fact that it actually came from Wayne because why would Wayne Gretzky ever do that to you? Yeah. Because he's Wayne. Yeah. Because he's Walter's son. Oh, that is uh, that is fantastic. So, you know what, uh, Randy, you were um, you, you, t- you were telling us a story uh, during the break about how uh, you know you used to room with Lee Foglin and uh, Glenn Anderson and Messier used to room together, and Glenn Sather was like, "Well, eh, they're you know what, we need to split this up, and we'll have like a calm guy with a young buck together," and that didn't necessarily go as planned. So no, I mean, Glenn was a real strategist, and and he knew that he needed to control our young, uh, <laughs> wild guys. I mean, not control them on the ice. I mean, Mark and Wayne were such a big part of our, our life. But you go to New York, and you know you'd like them to get three or four hours sleep anyway before the game. <laughs> so that was a strategy that that Mark would room with with Lee, and and Glenn Anderson would room with me. And it ended up that all four of us never got any sleep. So finally, after about three weeks, Glenn said, "Okay, let's switch." So Lee and I, being family men, we had uh, kids at the time. We, at least we got good sleep. And those guys, they are, you know, I love them both. They're they're just wonderful. I got to tell you a quick story about Mark Messier. So Adam Graves was uh, maybe the nicest man I've ever met. You yeah. know, he was such a great man. He told me he lived 45 seconds from my dinner table because I'd often come back after practice. He'd be in my playroom with my kids playing with them. That's what kind of guy was so when he got married in windsor i he asked me to be the master of ceremony anyway so we were there and at that point he was working he was playing with the new york uh, rangers along with uh, mark and uh, so i was up at the podium talking and all of a sudden in what's this beautiful blonde bombshell from new york and mark is his date and so he walks over to the new york ranger uh, uh table sets her down and looks over, and this is probably seven or eight years after we played, sees my wife with the empty chair because I'm up at the podium, immediately comes over, gives my wife a kiss and a hug, and then goes sits back with the Rangers. Seven years after we played together. I mean, that's... When anybody says anything bad about Mark Messier, I, I, I'm going to drop the gloves because <laughs> he's, he's a magical man, and he was such a big part of why he, he demanded that we become a great team. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, good friend. And whether I see him once a year or once every 20 years, you know, those are memories that we'll remember forever. Randy Gregg. Now, your wife, Kathy, of course, she was a speed skater, an Olympian uh, in 76 and in 1980. And you met her at the Olympics, correct? I did, yeah. Um, I went down to Calgary to play for the Olympics, and I rented out a house from a couple of girls from Manitoba. And one of them said, you know, there's a speed skater going to the Olympics. You may as well say hello. We're, we're good friends. So... You know, typically you go to the Olympics and there's Canada House in the Olympics. And, of course, the hockey players are kind of bored. We're sitting there waiting to go home. And the, and the luges come in. The bobsledders come in. And then these speed skaters come in. I said, holy smokes, look at that cute little thing. <laughs> and I was really, you know, quite timid. And I was there to play hockey. Anyway, in the Olympic Village, two days later, this cute little thing came up to me and said, hi, I'm supposed to say hello. I said, Good. Good luck for me. <laughs> so anyway, that was the start of a 40-year relationship. Oh, that's fantastic. Now, Kathy's speed skater, so she could always... Did she ever come out and skate with you guys? Just to see, like, you know, Messi is pretty fast, but I'm guessing, uh, you know, Kathy could have given him a run for her money. Before I met her, she lived, lived in Winnipeg, and so she had a race against Anders Hedberg. If you remember Anders yes. Hedberg, one of the Swedes who yeah. played with Bobby Hull, and they had a race. Uh, she was on her short track skates, and, of course, Anders... Uh, uh, was on his hockey skates, and they had uh, two races, down and back twice. Well, of course, as a speed skater, you don't stop, so yeah. Anders did a pretty good job there. And then two laps around, and 
a lap and a half. Of course, she had trouble getting around his stick because he wouldn't skate with his hockey stick. And within a lap and a half, she went, went by her. An interesting assessment of what kind of athlete she was. She was about five foot five, maybe 125 pounds when she was going to the Olympics. We used to train together in the summer. And I think a, a, during the summer after our first Stanley Cup, so I was in pretty good shape, probably the best shape I've ever been. There's a machine over at the U of A at the gym where you can, it's a, it's a leg press machine. Oh, it has yeah. a little cylinder that shows you, and a gauge show you what kind of power you have. So, you know, six foot four, 220 pounds. I go under there. I push as hard as I can. I get up to 500. I'm pretty cocky, and uh, I'm an NHL player, 500. Well, this little five foot five girl gets on. She gets up to 500. I thought, damn, I must have slipped. Anyway, I tried it two or three more times. Couldn't get it. She told me that Gaetan Boucher, who's 5'8", 175 pounds, silver medalist in speed skating, could get that up to 1,500. So he had three times the power that I did yeah. at the peak of my hockey career, and she's 120 pounds, and she's as powerful as I am. So it made me realize if I was going to get in a fight, it wouldn't be my, with my wife because she was a lot tougher <laughs> than I was. Well, it's just, well, you think about speed skaters, and I remember Katrina LeMay have had, like, the power of their thighs, like their, 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 you know, their, their, their butt muscle and their thighs. It's just so strong and powerful for, you know, they do a ton of, and it's a different motion, obviously, in speed skating. Did you ever try speed skating? Yeah, I sure did. And the first time I did was 11 o'clock at night down at the Oval, at the Victoria Oval, because I thought, you know what, if anybody, if I'm going to fall on my butt on <laughs> skates, nobody else is going to see it. Yeah. So now I actually really enjoy it. All my kids, two of our kids went to the Olympics in yes. speed skating. So uh, it, it's a wonderful sport. And now we've got grandkids going out there having lots of fun. But the beauty of it is, uh, and, and the great thing about a sport like that is, when you're young, everybody wins. Because a personal best means I'm a little faster than I was two weeks ago where it's not a hockey game where half the people are happy and half the people lose. So it's a sport that I really enjoy, and obviously to be a great athlete. Kathy used to, to lose weight in the off-season because it, it was muscle. She was hypertrophy. I used to gain weight because I'd <laughs> eat too much. Um, so, yeah, so there's lots of great athletes in many different sports, and speed skating is one of them. Randy Gregg joins So, Randy, of course uh, you're a doctor, and uh, you're playing in the NHL. Were, how, how did that work? Like, so you put it on hold for you? Were, you? Would you give assessments? Like, did your teammates ever come up to you, hey, Randy, what do you think this is? Yeah, sometimes. I mean, we, we had really, really good doctors for the team. But uh, some people, Mark, for instance, Mark Messi was, he was a big chicken, to be honest, to tell you. And if he was here today, I'd tell him that he hated needles. And so whenever he got, got cut, he'd ask me to stitch him up. Not that I was particularly good at it. But he figured, well, you're a hockey player. You know what it feels like. So I would often stitch Mark up a little bit. But, I mean, we did have a good doctor. But, you know, it's nice to give him a little bit of an assessment. The problem with being um, an NHL player in Edmonton during those years is, you know, if I went into a hospital, I'd sign 10,000 autographs and learn nothing. So yeah. he kind of had to put it on hold. It was, it was a nice uh, reflection of how popular the team was. It didn't really allow me to combine both of them. But that didn't mean I couldn't read on the road and things like that. Interestingly enough, uh, pe people talk about the transition of hockey from the 1980s to now. I'm absolutely sure that if I brought a medical book on a road trip in the 80s, my teammates would have burned it yeah. <laughs> on the way to the bar. Yeah. <laughs> or or to the, it's just... It's different. That was, that was not what you do. You know, you commit to play hockey. By the end of my career, we all had laptops. So I think it's really, really creative. They were smart players and, mm -hmm. and, and really intelligent guys, but you had to focus on, on what you were going to do. And so that wasn't as easy. At university, of course, is a great combination of academics and athletics. And now it's really nice to see these young men that are, and, and women that are playing high-level sports 
can combine uh, academic involvement uh, along with being the greatest athlete they can be. Now, I skipped over this, and I want to go back to You would mentioned Claire Drake, and you're a firm believer that Claire Drake was a big reason why you were able to become a professional hockey player. What did he do as a coach that made you better or smarter, I guess, in your words? So I played four years there. The first year at every practice, I didn't have a damn clue what was going on. I just followed the guy in front of me. Okay. The second year, I knew what I was doing. The third year, I was expecting the practice before the, the drill before it happened. And the fourth, I could run, I could run the practice. So four years of a great practice to game ratio, five practices, two games in the NHL. It's a few practices, lots of games because it is the NHL. Yeah. So the practice to game ratio was higher. And Claire Drake, it was interesting because he used to have 50 minute practices, 50 minutes. And uh, I didn't even, could hardly look him in the eye. I was so in awe of him. But at the end, when I became the captain, one of the captains of the team, I'd say, Coach, we could practice for three hours. And we have the rink. It's, it's all ours. Why do we have 50-minute practices? He looked at me and I'd say, it's all I need. So the intensity of his practice could never be amortized over two, two hours. No. By 50 minutes, you're exhausted. Yeah. But if you're going to practice slow... You then play you play slow. slow. Yeah. And if you practice with high intensity, so I thought that was amazing. And I played with some other coaches. We practiced for two hours. What do you do? To survive, you go 60% speed. Yeah. And that was a good thing about the Oilers, too. Um, you know, say there was very good in keeping a high intensity practice. There was a guy named um, Doug Hallward. And Doug Hallward played with the Detroit Red Rings. Right before um, one of our playoffs, he got traded to our team. And Doug sat bes- between me and Mark Messi in the dressing room. So after the first game, I looked over. Doug was a little bit disheveled and a little bit tired. I said, Doug, how was your first practice with the Oilers? And he looked up and he said, you guys practice harder than we play. (laughs) And I thought, I wonder why we won the Stanley Cups. Yeah. Yeah, it made sense. It does make sense. Uh, Randy Gregg, our guest today on uh, Who Is It Wednesday. We'll return. We're going to talk about the uh, success of the Riverhawks. Uh, Of course, uh, league high in attendance last year. Uh, What's the expectation? Uh, Where where did those ideas come from? We'll find out next on the Jason Gregor Show on Sports 1440. Rolling through 344 at Edmonton Sports Leader TSN 1260. Of course, our uh, big guest today today, Randy Gregg. Olympian, a doctor, five-time Stanley Cup champion, and a co-owner of the Edmonton Riverhawks, who just set a, a league record in attendance. Randy, and I remember when you, when you, uh, you know, when you guys announced the team was coming, and I remember specifically uh, having you on the show, and you talked about how we're going to make baseball more than just the game. And and it can't be just snap your fingers. You built. So what have you learned now? Because I'm sure, like anything, what you think it's going to be like is probably a lot different than now you get in and we're like, geez, we're an owner of this baseball league. How how's it gone? What's been the kind of the key learning points for you the last few years with the Riverhawks? Yeah, so like any decent business, I think we had a, a business plan that showed that this could be, if run properly, it could be uh, you know successful. Not just financially, that we're not too worried about that, but but in the community wise, the people yeah. would accept it really well. Uh, one of the best things we did was we hired a general manager named Steve Hogel, and Steve's been involved in media for a long time. Steve gets it. You know, Steve realizes that if all you do is try to make the last dollar, it, it gets really old really quickly. What he wants to do is he wants to take a sporting event and make it an entertainment event. Yeah. And uh, we also had some criteria. We had to have some, some lower tickets. I don't care about my family. They can afford a three, five, six hundred dollar ticket. I want a $20 ticket or a $10 ticket for a child to be able to come, 
maybe those families that it's not quite as easy to go see a sporting event. I want them to be exposed to a unique sport. Uh, it's not hockey, but it's a sport that many of us have played when we're younger. Um, and of course, the facility. I mean, it is the crown jewel yes. of the West Coast League. It's uh, arguably the second best stadium, baseball stadium in Canada, other than Rogers Centre in Toronto. Um, so we all have a passion, and I think our volunteers have a passion. We have a number of owners, 30 people, who've, who've uh, and it's not a major ownership, but uh, they, they just have their heart and soul in that. So our volunteers are happy, they are excited, and, uh, you know, we have to pay the bills, of course. That's why businesses work, but the success is, is watching that little kid who's cheering on his team or, or the fellow who's got a beer bat and he's drinking uh, a $6 <laughs> beer and not a $14 beer. Um, the ability to go on the stand, uh, into the field. Well, for years and years, you could never go on the field. Go yeah. to Yankee Stadium, they shoot you before you get on the field. And we said, no, this is, this is our field. This is our community field. So after every game, we let it go on the oh. field. It's amazing to see these long kids. My grandchildren are running the bases with the biggest smiles on their face. And people say, what happens if they, if they put litter on the field? I'll pick it up. Yeah. I'll pick It's worth it. I will be there till 12 o'clock and I pick it up because fans deserve that. Edmontonians deserve that. So I think we've made some, uh, some of course, all, some bad mistakes and some, some good decisions to make sure we're community-based. Uh, Steve Hogel's a great leader. Uh, we've got a good young Edmonton-based uh, coach. And these are all young men who are student collegiate athletes who don't want to, they want to come have some fun. We want to show them Edmonton. We want to put them up with home stays and really give them a good experience. But they want to make Major League Baseball. They want to yes. come and get repetitions. So we give them a fob so at 12 o'clock at night they can go into the dressing room, work out if they want. And, you know, if I was their age, it's exactly what I'd want. And uh, you mentioned the running on the field because I took my son to a few games last year. And then the first time, you know, it's, uh, one of his friends wanted to leave. It was like the seventh inning. He's like, no, no, we got to stay because you can run on the field. And he's like, what? And it just changes. And all of a sudden they're out there and they're running the bases and they're chiming themselves to see how fast you can run from home to first. And when you get on the field and you're eight and nine years old, you realize, geez, it is a little bit farther to first base, right? And and they, they have a lot of fun with it, which is uh, fantastic. Because baseball, like... It's, it's funny you're saying, well, baseball was my sport. So, you know, you're an Olympian and you're a Stanley Cup champion, but you're like, but baseball is my sport. You know, the funny thing about baseball, I think in the different, I mean, hockey is a great sport, but, you know, it's 30 below in Edmonton. You go to the community league, you, you play, you're cold, your father and mother drive you home, and that's <laughs> it. In baseball, you go and play for two hours, and then you sit around for three hours with your buddies. There's a dugout, so you can stay there like you're something special. And, uh, you know, I, I happen to have some skills in baseball. Unfortunately, the, the, the time that I could get a scholarship down in the States, I was in medical school, so I thought I better not give up that gig. That might be something long-term. Um, but I want to see our young Canadian, our young Edmonton players get a chance to play. Right now we have an Edmonton collegiate team. These are players that some of them play with the River Rocks, but not all of them. But they're young fellows. They're neighbors of yours and mine. They go to Grant McEwen. They go to university. go to Concordia or King's College. And they love baseball. So you'll go down there. I'll go down there 5 o'clock tonight. They'll be out there practicing. We started with 23 Last year was 35. This year we've got 60 players out there. And they wow. just absolutely love the game. So as much as the fan will come to see 27 Riverhawks games, there's lots going on down there. We've had a bar, a bar mitzvah, the Harry Inley graduation. We have concerts and things like that. And, uh, you know, I think Edmontonians deserve that, and we want to share it with the community. So you had an opportunity. Now, were you a pitcher? Were you a fielder? Uh, where were you when you played ball? Yeah, so I was a hitter. I, I did pitch a little bit, and... Oh, when I was young, we went to the national championships. But I got kind of lucky. I hit seven home runs in the last three games. 
we won the national championships and uh and, it was and who inter- were you playing for? I was playing for a team called the Edmonton uh, Tigers, so Ray okay. Brown or Franchise, yeah, people like yeah. that. Anyway, before the national championships, uh, the president of Baseball Canada said, we're going to take the best players, and you'll represent Canada to go to Italy. Well, I'd never been outside of Canada. I thought, my God, are you kidding me? I could play for Team Canada, go to Italy. That was before the Olympics and things. Anyway, at the end, I, I got pretty lucky, hit some home runs, and pitched a one-hitter against PEI, and so it worked out pretty well. got the MVP. And shortly afterwards, the president came to me and said, Randy, really good job. Boy, it was amazing what you did, but we're not going to take you. And I said, okay. Uh, Why? Because, you're, because you don't go to a college in the United States. I was going to the U of A. And I thought, okay, I thanked him for some reason. I'm not sure why I thanked him. Uh, but I realized that just because we don't go to the United States to college doesn't mean we're not good athletes. 100%. And so that's one of the beautiful things. We want to give opportunities for these young players that have a passion for baseball in our northern Alberta communities. Give them a chance to be the best they can. Maybe they'll never go to the Olympics. Maybe they'll uh, never play MLB, but they'll get a chance to be the best they can be. That's you just shown that you're pretty good, but it's like, well, you, who cares where you go to school? That's it'd be like saying, well, we can't draft you because you're not from Edmonton. You're playing, um, you know, in in Redwater, or small town. You didn't you didn't play in a big market, so we can't draft you. Like it's foolish. That's uh, that's rather. Uh, closed-minded thinking is uh, Dr. Randy Gregg joins us here on Sports 1440. And who is it Wednesday? Now, Randy, very interesting. Uh, I always like kind of hearing life stories from different people. You were We had Ken Dryden on the show, and I'd asked you if you've ever met Ken Dryden. You said no, but I watched him. And you got to go, you and your brother went to Russia for the 72 series. As a, You were 16, so your brother would have been 18, 19? Uh, 23. Oh, it was 20. Okay. So you go there, explain how it was, how you got tickets, where you're sitting, and what was the atmosphere as a Canadian at the 72 Summit Series in Russia? Yeah, so uh, so anyway, 16 years old. I was in first year uh, university. At 16? Yeah, I don't know how I did that. I kind of got lucky, I guess. But, um, but anyway, my brother was 23, and he wanted to go to see this Canada-Russia series. Maybe it might be kind of a famous series, but none of his... His friends could afford it. It cost $700, all-inclusive for two weeks, airfare, accommodations, everything, tickets, everything involved, $700, which was a lot of money back then. Anyway, so he came to my mom, and, and my mom said, well, why don't you take your little brother? Oh, I guess I'll take my little brother. So at 16, <laughs> I got the tag along. Anyway, we went there, and we were able to see the Paul Anderson goal and things like that. But what was, and of course, we were very proud Canadians. Um, I've met Alan Eagleson a lot and through my Olympic and, and national team program. And to be very honest, a lot of Canadians that were there were, were a little bit embarrassed with Eagleson's um, antics. Yeah. Um, these Russian people were honest, hardworking people. It was the Iron Curtain, so they, uh, they all had black and, and dark brown coats and things like that. There was nothing exciting in their life at that point in time. But they really couldn't figure out why this Eagleson would have been pulled off out of the stands and onto the ice and all the things that happened. So in that regard, as a Canadian, we were a little bit disappointed because these Russians who we sat around, 16,000 of them, were kind of shaking their heads saying, I thought I came to a hockey game. What, what's going on yeah. here? Now, after saying that, when you take a look at the the replays, I mean, those Russians were pretty dirty. They'd hit the guys in the Achilles and things like that. I can see why the players got upset. But that's what happened in international hockey. 100%. I mean, that's, we're not like, playing the NHL. We're pretty sure Bobby us. Clark uh, gave a few <laughs> wicked slashes. <laughs> he did that over the time. <laughs> anyway, what was really interesting is that when we when Paul Henderson did score the goal, and we went back to our hotel, it was Hotel Ukraine. We were on the 12th floor, and on every floor there was an old 
uh, Russian family that took care of the janitorial. These families probably never got out of the hotel. Anyway, uh, unfortunately, there was no Coke or milk back there. You either had, uh, had vodka or you had champagne. Well, I was 16. So <laughs> after the dinner, we were kind of a little bit happy because Canada did win. It was a great thing. And we went to our to our hotel lobby, the 12th floor, and the lady was there, and we said, hey, Canada, da, da, you know, we won. And she looked us in the eye, and this lady probably didn't know hockey puck from, a, from basketball, and she gave us a, a slashing motion, like, Canada, da, Russian yet. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And I thought, here's this lady who, uh, an hour after we won, realized how dirty Canada was. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm not going to blame it on the Canadians. Those guys were wonderful. They gave up a lot of their time. And, yeah. and you read the books, fabulous athletes. But it wasn't in Russia what it was like in Canada. Yeah. Um, and it was a glorious time for hockey in Canada and all of those players. I mean, Ken Dryden, what an amazing man, what a role model, and what a great player he was. So, uh, yeah, good for all of them. Well, it's interesting because you know, when you just think of how lucky we were to live in Canada – and so you're able to cheer and say what you want. And if the team's playing terrible, you can rip on them. And then the Russian citizens, a very different, very different world that they're living in, right? Like they wouldn't have been able to express themselves. They, it's hard to have the same passion, excitement for your team when your, your government and your country doesn't necessarily allow you to have that passion in your everyday life. Absolutely. And thank God the Iron Curtain is down now. But one example of that, one of the uh, Canadian fans, there was probably three or 400 of us in the Lusniki Stadium back then, but one had a big uh, horn and he'd blow the horn. Of course, you can't do that in Russia, not back then. So the military police were all around and the military policemen would go up to his his aisle and ask for the horn like you can't be doing that well by that time he'd passed the horn down to all his buddies and it was somewhere else in the canadian contingent so of course the canadians are kind of laughing like hey we we took one over the the russian but i looked around at the soviet people and they're sort of shaking their head like how could you do that like we can't we don't have that luxury we don't have the ability to be independent to make decisions to do what we want and so not only was it a great experience to see great hockey but, uh, yeah, I went to, to Moscow many times, played in that stadium before the 88 Olympics. So I was back after the, uh, uh, you know, the, the Berlin Wall was, was brought down. And, uh, you know, it's really nice to see that the Russian people and, uh, and all Eastern European people have much more autonomy and independence than they did then. It was a dark time then. For sure. Uh, Randy, I want to circle, uh, kind of come full circle and end with your time with the Edmonton Orders. And, you know, you came in in the, in the 1982 playoffs and, you know, the miracle on Manchester. So not, not a great start, but a little adversity. And then, you know, a few years later, you, you win your first Stanley Cup. And, and then, you know, you kind of look at your career. Uh, you came back in, in 1988. And then, you know, uh, Gretzky, of course, got traded that summer. You guys lost that year. The 1990 Cup without Wayne. And just, can you talk about, the importance of it for the core guys to win without Wayne. How important was it, and, and how maybe was it a different type of satisfaction when you won that cup? No, 
No, I, I think I can speak for every single one of those that we would have given anything to have Wayne Gretzky slung our team. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, you know, it was, it was out of his control. It was out of our control. Uh, there was no, um, no glory in winning a cup without a, such an, an integral man. What really was exciting is, remember, we had three young players, Adam Graves, as I mentioned, Martin Jelena, and Joe Murphy. And, you know, I had four Stanley Cups. I'm not the most greedy person in the world. I didn't need a fifth one. But I needed the fifth one because it was Adam Gray's first one. Okay. And so I remember we did beat Boston. And uh, it was, the, I think, the only Stanley Cup we won away from Edmonton. And the, the Boston Gardens was just a piece of, it, it was awful. <laughs> yeah, it was. And rats. the dressing room had rats and things like that. But I remember after we won, sitting there arm in arm with Adam, we could hardly move because, you know, you're pretty exhausted at the end of that. And just enjoying the experience of seeing this young man get his first Stanley Cup. Yeah, so that was there, there's different motivations and different things that you get out of wins like that. But I do remember the fifth one really being able to share it with those young men. Now, do you remember the brawl in L.A.? In uh, I think it was 1989, Marty McSorley and Messi went at it, and and uh, you know I, I've talked to a few of the other players because you had so much respect for Wayne, and, and guys admitted that, geez, I didn't really play him that hard in 1989, and then Sather came in the room and said, guys, look at him, he's celebrating like you're all best friends off the ice, but come game time, you're out there, and, and he's going to take what you want, and, and vice versa. But do you remember the brawl in L.A. And is there anything that stands out for you that night? Yeah, you know, it's really, really hard to turn it on and off. You know, uh, we, you coach your son. That's the sport of hockey. Yeah. That's the beauty of hockey. This is the business of hockey. And on a Thursday, Dave Brown is your teammate and someone who sits beside you in the dressing room. And the next day, he's playing with another team. Uh, you know, we're big guys. If we didn't like that, we quit and go on to something else. Sure. But it's not an easy time. Uh, but to be able to turn the page and say it doesn't matter the years that we spent in the trenches together is just not right. Yeah. So it is harder. Kelly Buckberger, for instance, I, when I played in Vancouver, we were playing a game in Edmonton, and Kelly came in and, and rammed me into the boards, and he said, hey, sorry, Doc. I said, <laughs> Kelly, don't be sorry. You're going to say your job, you yeah. know? And, but it was hard because yeah. we were such good friends, and he didn't want to hurt me, but he wanted to play the game. Of yes. course, play the game. So it is, it's a hard one like that. And, and they are not just hockey players. They're men and they're friends and they're, they're teammates. And uh, so it is part of the game. And I think that's part of what, um, what determines the success of any team is to do that. Interesting. I, I, I should mention one thing because our, our, uh, our team was kind of a microcosm of many different successes and failures. You know, we see this year that the Oilers lose the first two games. And, of course, my my patients come in, not all of them, but many, well, what'd you think of the game? Well, first of all, I didn't see it, but I, I want to spend five minutes telling about a story. And uh, it was back during the day when we were winning a lot of Stanley Cups and we were playing against Hartford. Oh, yeah. And the day before Hartford was playing Calgary, Calgary came in and just beat the crap out of them, beat them 7-2 or something like that. We were sitting in the stands watching, rested, everything like that. We thought this next game's going to be really easy. Anyway, we go out we're losing 7 nothing after the second period to the same team that Calgary beat the day before. Anyway, Hartford didn't have a very nice dressing room either, so at the end of the second period, Glenn Sather came in, and he was yelling. He was smoking his, you know, smoke kind of on his ears, and he said, guys, this is ridiculous. This is embarrassing. He said, you might not win this game, but at least don't let him score any more goals. <laughs> So we go out in the third period, and Charlie and Paul start on defense, and they dump the puck in. And uh, Grant Fuhrer, I think, was in the net. Anyway, 
Paul gets the puck, he goes around the net while there's a puddle of water, and the puck sticks in the water. Their player comes in, scores 8 nothing, eight seconds into the third period. Well, anyway, I look over, and Lee Fogel and Kevin Lobo said, we're giggling because we're saying, thank God it wasn't us because they're not going to send Paul Coffey to the minors. And, and Sather just went crazy. We went back um, the next day, and it was a two-hour skate, a bag skate. And, in fact, Wayne Gretzky wasn't on the trip. He was injured, I think, and he had the two-hour skate. And he said, why are you skating me? I wasn't even part of that game. (laughs) But it it, kind of goes to show that you have to have a a little bit of a a light side to a a very serious profession. Well, I I think it was Dave um, Lumley who told me, because he took a major penalty that game, and he was in the penalty box, and I think Hartford scored like three or four power play goals, and he just kept hearing the brass bananas, and he's like, God, I hate that song. Like, he just gets, because you just, you're there, and then it just keeps playing, and you're like, oh, now it's just, you're sinking lower and lower because you feel bad because obviously if, if they weren't on the power play they might not be scoring so it's a funny thing that that is and that's the first year your stanley cup and so it's there there's no easy ascension to a stanley cup there's probably a lot of pitfalls and and uh, disappointments before you finally hoist the cup well there is and it's interesting so the comment about the first two losses the Edmonton Oilers, we never had an easy game hartford had a poor game against calgary and they had their best game because we were the Edmonton oilers and what I think the Edmonton Oilers team is going to do is the same thing. They're not going to have an easy game. It's hard because every game is tough, but it's great because that develops your character. So I think those losses are not losses. They're learning experiences. And, and although nobody likes to see the Oilers lose, um, a good coach, and I think I don't know their coach, but he seems like a great man, they're going to turn that into a positive learning experience. They can't afford to have a bad uh, a weekday, just like us years ago, because you're going to see the best of every opponent. It's going to make you a playoff contender. Randy, thank you very much for uh, for coming in studio. Uh, thanks for uh, what you're doing with, with your, your team with the Riverhawks. I know the baseball community is loving it. There's so many people that enjoy that, so we look forward to, uh, to the games uh, next summer. Uh, continued success in everything you do. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for your time, Jason. That is uh, Dr. Randy Gregg on Who Is It Wednesday. Uh, we'll get to uh, Connor Halley and a Sports 1440 update brought to you by Legacy Heating and Cooling, home of the no payments, no interest for one year on your furnace. Stay warm all winter at LegacyHeating.ca.